When people come to church, people don't come to church to find out how the church is governed. You realize that. I very seldom hear anybody ever say to me, tell me how your church is governed. Tell me how you make decisions. That's not a normal thing that they ask me. A lot of people think the pastor makes the decisions in the church. Uh, You know that's not true, folks. I've heard these words, well, I thought you were the leader of this church. Well, I'm telling you what, folks, that's not what that means when you become the leader. I am the spiritual leader of this church. I certainly don't make all the decisions. And by the way, when you come to complain sometimes, you're complaining to the wrong person when you come to me. Because I didn't make the decision in the first place. So that happens. I'm not one of those people that really wants to grab all of that authority. I do know preachers who love to grab that kind of authority. I do know that they rule with iron fist. And I found that many churches function much better when they have a pastor that rules with an iron fist. I'm just not that person. Most Baptist churches are confused about, or most Baptists rather, are confused about the structure of the church. Uh, Some churches will want to put the deacons in charge. Let me explain to you, that word deacon means servant. It does not mean that you're the leader of the church. It does not give you that office that says that you are uh, supposed to have that leadership in the church and far, as far as that goes. The deacons were initially set out to assist with the giving the food to the Greek widows. This is what they really did. And there's no place in the Bible that gives deacons the authority to make decisions by the way look for that in the bible if you want to i'm going to bring out several things that um, are in the bible that people have not recognized baptist churches that do not have elders have essentially determined that the senior pastor is the only elder in the church that is a real uh, fact. That's the way they treat them. The New Testament gives an office to the pastor, but that the pastor is to be a teacher. It is pastor-teacher. And it's only mentioned one time in the whole, all of the New Testament. Only one time. So hear this. There are multiple elders in the New Testament churches, even in the smallest of those New Testament churches. Pastors have been given the job of being generalist, who are supposed to know how to make every decision within the church. I'm going to tell you something, folks. I don't know what to do with that plumbing problem. Do you understand that? I am not going to get involved in that because the worst thing you could ever have me do is try to fix a plumbing problem that I know absolutely nothing about. Many Baptists believe that the pastor works for them because they voted to pastor in. The pastor doesn't work for the people, believe it or not. And then there's some of those pastors, as I mentioned, that they, they have the iron rule. You know what I'm talking about? They do the iron rule thing. You do what I say or it's the highway. I've been around those pastors. They generally take a stick after the sheep and don't try to lead them. That's really what happens there. And that's not what we're called to do. The Bible establishes two offices in the church, only two offices. And they are elders and deacons. You can go through the entire New Testament. You find another office that has been given in the church. <clears throat> Deacons are to assist the elders. And it is in, uh, evident from the responsibility given to the elders that the pastor is one of the elders. One of the elders. The New Testament is void of two things. You know what they are? Voting. Now they had affirmation, but they never had voting. And committees. So they may be prudent. But there is no place in the New Testament that committees or voting 
is mentioned. You can look it up. So, do we want to do things biblically? That's the question. There is no mandate to have elders. Do you understand that? There's no place in the Bible that says you must have elders. But we can look at the pattern that we have in the New Testament. We can look at what they've got. And the question is, do we want to do the things the way they did it? Some of the things we don't want to do the way they did it. I'm going to tell you up front. Some of the times they were in the wrong place. And we need to recognize that and and be able to say, we don't want to do that the way they did it. We don't want to do a lot of the things that were going on in that Corinthian church that Paul had to rebuke. We don't want to do that kind of stuff. But there's some some things that we need to follow that pattern. But the question is for us as a church is, is that, do we want to do things biblically? Now, I remember a seminary professor, that's many, 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 many years ago, over 40 years ago. And that seminary professor said that when he was in the church and he was preaching, he said this woman objected to what he said. And he said, but ma'am, the Bible says, and she said, I don't care what the Bible says. You hear that, folks? Sometimes people don't care what the Bible says. But let's see, let's look at elders as those who are shepherd the people. Elders were first. Elders were appointed in every church. Every church. You look at the New Testament. You look at the New Testament. Every church. In Acts chapter 14 verse 23 it says, And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. In which they had appointed elders for them in every church. Now let's look at a little context here. Paul preaches his Antioch and Iconium. And while Paul is at Lystra, I mean, he's continuing to preach, he's going on. He gets to Lystra, he heals a man. And when the, he heals this man, the people there decide, you know, Paul and, and, and Barnabas are gods. We want to worship them. So Paul continues to preach to them, telling them that they're not gods and, and continues on. But the Jews from Antioch and Iconium, they come to persuade the crowds that want to deify Paul and Barnabas to stone Paul and Barnabas. In other words, kill him instead. Now, they came a hundred miles to kill Paul. You think they were upset? They preached in uh, Antioch and Iconium. They come a hundred miles to kill Paul. And you know what they did? Somehow they convinced the people there that they ought to stone him. That's amazing. Now, why did they do that? Why did they come that far? Well, the Jews were afraid of riling the Romans and giving them, the Romans had given them a special dispensation that they did not have to, to uh, worship, they could worship rather, without having to worship the Roman emperor. And they didn't want to mess up the system that was there. We learned, we learned that in our, our, our winter Bible study with uh, Mark Olson. But somehow they persuaded these people, instead of deifying Paul and Barnabas, let's kill them instead. That's a, that's a distance, you understand? That's a pretty good distance. And they get there. So what happens is, is they knock Paul out of conscious and they drag him out of the city. But you know what happens? Paul and Barnabas dusted themselves off and go to Derby to preach. And what did they do? This is what it says right there in verse 23. They appointed elders for each church after fasting and praying. Now, the fasting and praying reveals the care that needs to be taken in order to have elders. They're not like deacons. Do you understand? I've heard the flimsiest reason for people becoming deacons. I mean, I've actually heard this one. Let's make my son-in-law a deacon so that maybe he'll start coming to church now. I've heard that nomination, if you want to hear that, how that works. 
I've heard the flimsiest excuses for people becoming deacons. It doesn't mean we don't have good deacons. We have the best deacons I've ever seen. So I'm not cutting our deacons down. What I'm trying to say is there is a step up, very much of a step up, in order to deal with having elders. And what happens with the elders? The elders deal with the spiritual issues within the church. And spiritual issues within the church are often become contentious if there's not someone there to be those spiritual leaders in the church. See, when we start voting people in rather than praying and fasting to see if they're the right people, then the people are often chosen because of their status and wealth. Some rich guy comes to church, let's make him a deacon. You understand what's going on? Status and wealth. We're chosen because of their popularity. Everybody likes him. He ought to be a deacon. They're chosen by the way they look. Here's the most amazing thing that I found out. I mean, I've had to deal with uh, pulpit search committees. And you know what they say sometimes? They see the picture of the pastor that he sends in his resume. And they say, he looks like he'd be a good pastor. Do you understand? I actually had a committee tell me one time that they wished I was taller. (laughs) I didn't get on my tiptoes after that. Do you understand what I'm trying to say to you? We do it by looks. We do it by, but you know, here, you know, we can't look like a pastor. We can't look like a leader. Uh, I remember Chuck Swindoll telling the story of a, of a boy in a grocery store. And he's standing there looking at this guy in front of him in the line. And he looks at him, looks at him, looks at him. Finally, he says, mister, are you a preacher? And he's, and the a man turns around and says, no, I've just been sick for a couple of weeks. So you understand what I'm trying to say to you. You don't look like a preacher. You don't have to look that way. And that's how people pick people sometimes. Fasting and praying. Fasting and praying are necessary to hear God speak. For only he can see hearts. You realize it's it's fasting and praying that precedes all of this. When Samuel was to appoint a new king, he thought that Jesse's oldest child, the oldest son, he fit the bill. See, he was the obvious choice. He looked the part. They'd just gotten through with somebody who looked the part. With Saul being the tallest and handsome and all of that kind of stuff. The last king looked like a king. But God looks at the heart. In 1 Samuel 16, 7 it says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on his height or his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on his heart. You see, we can't say that we can look on a person's heart, but I know somebody who can. And I can go to him and I can fast and pray and I can find out who he would choose. Why did they appoint uh, elders in every church? Let's look at the verses uh, right before the appointing of the elders. It says, in, or it's right, at, well, right before, yeah, in Acts chapter 14, verse 21, and it says, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. The people want to get rid of them, right? Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Paul and Barnabas were honest with these people. The path to the kingdom of God is not easy. Understand that. It's not easy to do what God wants you to do. Because when you you start trying to do what God wants you to do, you better start expecting opposition. 
Because that is exactly what's going to happen. There will be opposition. And you need leaders, and these elders that were appointed that were there, you need leaders who are going to stay with you. Paul and Barnabas couldn't stay with them. That's why they appointed elders. See, I hope and I pray for revival, but it is naive to think that if we have revival, we will have no opposition. In fact, we might have the greatest opposition that we've ever had. And because let me tell you what happens. People don't care what you do in church as long as you don't bother them. But when you have revival, it bothers people. I will tell you up front, it bothers people. Jethro told Moses that Moses lacked the strength and the presence to lead the people through all that they would encounter by himself. He must divide them into groups and leaders in each group. And they would face some tough times. The lack of elders may be the reason that so many pastors want to quit. Of the surveys that are out there, 70% of pastors said they would quit if they knew if there was something else they could do to just basically feed their families. They're burned out, beaten up, and brokenhearted. I can tell you what is going on with many of them. I've talked with many of them, and I've listened to their hearts, and they don't have failure land. I'm very, very fortunate. I know that. I, I praise God for His grace upon me because of you guys. But they have been so lonesome, on their lonesome rather, for so long. They've taken every punch that has been thrown at them. They've listened to every complaint and they have uh, endured every bit of so-called helpful advice. And they, are, they have no backup because they are the sole reason that the church functions like it is. They know that because that's what they've been told. They're the reason for it. I have a friend who just couldn't take it anymore. I had a uh, talk with him on this. You see, he resigned and he took early retirement. He didn't even make 65 as a pastor. You see, retirement has two purposes. Is that, and that is so you can do what you want to do and because you can't do what you want to do. Those are the two reasons for retirement. If you can't do what you want to do. <coughs> well, he told me he came to a point that he just couldn't take it anymore. He just couldn't take it anymore. And he retired early. Paul knows that a plurality of leadership is necessary in tough times and appoints elders in every church. You need that plurality. You need them, uh, more people that are going to take that responsibility. Appointing elders in each church then was the standard. <coughs> Sorry. Titus 1.5 says, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Elders put order in the church. Churches need an organizational structure that is maintained and without an established leadership, the loudest voices become the leaders. Some people think they have the right to appoint themselves leaders. I know of a church that when the senior pastor left, a member of the church assembled the remaining staff that they had there and told them that they lacked leadership and that they would now all answer to him. Nobody had elected him to any position. He just wanted to assume the leadership had no authority. I know another church that as soon as the senior pastor left, some of the members decided they'd fire the rest of the staff without a church meeting whatsoever. They just fired them all. You see, there's not a void in leadership. 
Something fills it each of the times. That's why there needs to be a plurality of leadership. See, multiple elders give continuity to a church. See, the church knows that who they can talk to about the leadership at that point. I'll give you another case in point. A very large Baptist church that was growing leaps and bounds had a preacher that, you know, I, I think he could, um, he, he, he could, he could charm, charm the people better than anybody I'd ever heard in my life as far as that goes. But he was involved in multiple affairs. I guess he could charm some more people than he really needed to charm, right? And so the deacons decided to tell him to stop having those affairs. And they covered it up. That's what they did. They covered it up. They were afraid that because they now were in some incredible debt because of the buildings that they had built under this pastor, that they would not be able to pay those bills if that pastor was not there. You realize what happened? Well, it found, you know what happened? One of the major magazines in that state found out about it and they put it on the front cover of their magazine. If they had had elders... They could have dealt with this in a spiritual way. They could have stopped this early and they wouldn't have tried to cover it up because these are spiritual leaders, not the, not the other, not servant leaders in this case. And the church wouldn't have become the laughingstock of the entire state. You see, a singular pastor elder can have too much authority and too much influence when he's being confronted with his sins, especially if he's silver-tongued. Especially, and that's the case. Pastors are not good at everything. Whether the church doesn't understand that some are good as great counselors, some are great uh, administrators, some are great preachers, some are great organizers, some are great shepherds, some are great leaders. But they're not good at everything. Not good at everything. Elders fill in when the pastor lacks abilities and time. Elders are necessary to bring order to the church. Elders made the spiritual decisions for the church. Understand when I would use that word spiritual decisions. In Acts chapter 15 verse 1 it says, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brother, uh, and were teaching brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them. You realize that? Uh, that means they were arguing like crazy. You understand that? This is what's going on. Paul and Barnabas and, and, and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. They're dealing with the spiritual issue that is going on there. The question was whether or not they needed to be circumcised. You see, this was an important question because it is the most resisted thing that would have happened. What is going on? We want our tradition. We want it what we've done in the past, not what God has called us to do right now. That is the issue that we have at hand. And so the church stood at the precipice of grace and works. Were they going back to a works-based type of salvation or are they stepping up to be a grace-based salvation? Why would it have been important to the Jews? Well, this is the only salvation they had known for so long. And grace abandoned all their hard work. They understood the law. And they did not realize that they were worshiping the vessel and not the treasure. Understand, that is what goes on so often. A pastor I served with declared that it was too hot to wear coats and ties to church from Memorial Day to Labor Day. This had been many, many years ago. 
A group came forward. They came to me, by the way. I'll tell you that. And they're claiming that this is evil for you not to wear coats and ties. I'm just telling you what happened. This a long time ago. And they said, uh, because they've always been taught to wear their best to church. Wearing their best became their worship. Do you understand? It had become their worship. And that was it. You know how we got into wearing our best to church in reality? In reality, it wasn't about wearing our best. It was about the fact that you were of a great status if you went to church. And you had your opportunity to show off their best clothing and go into church. And everybody wanted to dress and look right because that was the way that you were going to do. And how you're going to be able to show off. So it's really got a tradition that isn't so good. And so I understand people, some people dress nice because it helps them worship. I have no problem with that. I like people to dress nice. It's not a problem with me. But the people who complained thought that it was worship. Wearing clothing was worship. Tradition gains traction because it's already accepted. Decision was one that was sure to make some people angry. It would be that, uh, you know, it would be one that would have declared that they were disregarding God's law. It is easy to go with the flow. Somebody told me this story um, after I preached a few months ago. I never heard it. You know, I told you preachers have always heard preacher jokes. I hadn't heard this one. It was amazing. It was a story of a guy who, he came to uh, this church and he dressed in regular clothes. And he sat there and all the people were all dressed up really, really nice. And they came to him. They noticed he stuck out like a thumb, you know, he stuck a sore thumb. And he went over there to him and they said, he said, um, we don't dress like this in our church. We dress in coats and ties and we dress in. And he said, why don't you go and you ask God how you're supposed to dress when you come to church? So what happened was, is that next week he comes back dressed exactly the same way he was. And so they confronted him this time. They said, hmm, did you go and ask God what you ought to wear to church? And he said, yes, I did. And they said, well, what did God tell you? God said, I don't know. I've never been to that church. (laughs) You realize what tradition does to us, folks. So the apostles and the elders heard the arguments. The apostles are named first, and I don't want to neglect that. But the elders are included in this decision. This placed the elders in a high position of making those spiritual decisions. I know of a pastor who needed to address a spiritual problem in his church. What was going on is his deacons were getting drunk at football games and using bad language. What do you think? And when he tried to address that with them, you know what happened? They asked him to go somewhere else. He needed a pastor some other place. You see, you can't do it by yourself. The plurality of elder leadership diffuses the arguments of those who wish to suppress a spiritual decision. There are no personal vendettas in this. And I want you to hear this, folks. I've heard this so many times when I've had to confront some issue. Uh, He who has no sin, cast the first stone. I'm going to tell you what. You're giving permission to do every sin in the world when you do that. It's not about making a judgment. It's telling people when something is wrong. And sometimes it is wrong. 
And so without a group to address spiritual decisions, the church has an equal tendency to approve heresies and reject doctrines. Tradition will weigh in more than the Bible. Peer pressure will be greater influence than the spirit. People will go forward, uh, uh, toward rather, with what they like and not what is right. The early church faced these issues. Arianism almost took over. Arianism believed that Jesus was created, that he was not God. Marcionism became very strong in the church. That is the one that says the devil uh, created the world and God came to fix it. And today the health and wealth preachers are making a big splash. Their messages are creeping into churches. I know of a very large Baptist church where the pastor is now a, a modalist. A modalist is one that believes that God was in heaven and then God came to earth as Jesus and vacated heaven. And there's no God in heaven at this point. And then Jesus kind of did a U-turn, came back down, and he's now the Holy Spirit. And there's nobody in heaven right now. And there's a very large Baptist church that is following that pastor right now. And that is a heresy, folks. There needed to be somebody in that church that said, wait a minute. This is not right. And had some authority to deal with that. It says, why do we need to do the things the way the Bible did them? Well, it is God's word. And this is God's church, and he builds the church. You know, I believe that churches so long have treated pastors like football coaches. You don't win enough games, then you're out. It says the church doesn't grow, it doesn't make the congregation happy. He's asked to leave. But the church doesn't belong to the people. The church is the people, but it doesn't belong to the people. The pastor doesn't work for the people. The pastor must work for the Lord if you've got the wrong guy. And a group of elders will treat a pastor differently. They will measure a pastor's faithfulness, for even a pastor needs to be evaluated. They will find out if he's faithful to his family. Is he faithful to the Word of God? Is he faithful to the church? In other words, is he, is he just playing golf all day long and you know, kind of coming in and borrowing somebody else's sermon so they can get online every week? Or is he actually digging into the word of God and spending the time in prayer and the things that need to be done in order to, uh, to, to bring the messages that the church needs to hear? And so these elders, they address this personally. They must be spiritually led rather than emotionally led. They must weigh the criticisms because they must hear the criticisms sometimes from the church itself. And must weigh those criticisms. Is he faithful? Is he faithful to his family? Is he faithful to the word of God? Is he faithful to the church? Is he being what he needs to be for them? And so, and they weigh the actions of the pastor. And when it is necessary, they need to take action. They need to take action. And it shouldn't be in tearing the church apart in order to do so. For elders take responsibility for the church. This is what they do. They do not hold back their tithe because they don't like the way things are going. They do not run off to another church because they don't like the things, uh, way things are going. They don't awor, avoid worship services because they don't like the music or maybe they don't like the sermons. They get on their knees and pray and they roll up their sleeves and work. This is what happens with elders. Our church has an ad hoc committee working on establishing elders in the church. I will tell you, we've only looked at Baptist churches. There are thousands of Baptist churches with elders. <laughs> you, you wouldn't believe it. There are thousands of Baptist churches with elders. 
And we've looked at their models and we've looked at what they've done. That's how we know it's going to take two to four years because that's what it took them to transition from being uh, congregationally led in, in the way that they're being led. So we're working on what this will be for Thelia Lynn. What I can tell you is it's not some other denominational model. It is not Presbyterian, because I'm certainly not even looking at Presbyterians or Episcopalians or Church of Christ. We're not looking at any other denominational model and trying to determine what we're supposed to do. We're looking at the Bible. We're looking at the Bible and we're doing what we believe that is best and unique for our church. We found that in every church that we examined, every Baptist church we examined, they did it differently. And we're probably going to be doing it differently too, just like they did. But they have elders. So do you really want to be a part of a church that is seeking to follow God? I want you to hear this up front. We will undoubtedly make mistakes that we will have to fix. There is no doubt about that. We will commit sins, not because we want to, not because that is our heart. And I don't believe that's the heart of Thelia Lynn, but because sometimes we are just human beings and we will have to repent of those sins and make things right. And those mistakes as well. We want to do things right. And we want to do what the Bible says. We want to clearly, and I want to say clearly, without tradition influencing us unduly, know what the Bible says. Personally, I'm going to tell you up front, I want to put things in order before you get the next pastor. That's what's going to have to happen. So I'm telling you right now, I'm going to preach two more messages on this. Next two messages. They're very different messages because they're, they're teaching messages. I'm not trying to get you to commit to a lot of things. What I'm trying to help, uh, let you understand is this is Bible. This is Bible. And I have believed this probably for the last 30 years that we needed elders. Not just in this church, but in other churches. And I finally got to the point that I said, you know what? I believe we've got to do it. We got to do it. We got to do it for the sake of our church. So pray with me. Father, I, I thank you for your word.